Welcome, 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 everyone. I hope you're having an awesome, awesome era of Shabbat. This is the eve of Shabbat tonight. Yeah, we're going to get into some very interesting things here. I mean, just reading the first sentence in this in this particular chapter is uh, something I have to stop. And, and, and the first sentence, actually, because I've heard so often, um, there's just... Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi um, uh, Yeheskel, and uh, he talks very frequently about the Exodus and about how when Moses came up out of Egypt, what gave him that extra power, as it were, or that what gave him that the extra right, as it were, to come up out of Egypt and to go through the Red Sea and that kind of thing, was the fact that he was carrying Joseph's bones. He was carrying Joseph's bones, and uh, that really kind of concretized, concretized uh, the uh, the whole Exodus process. <laughs> All right, let's read it. This is for those of you who are wondering. I am reading from the Legends of the Jews, Volume Three, Chapter One. Moses in the wilderness. The Exodus would have been impossible if Joseph's bones had remained behind. Therefore, Moses made it his concern to seek their resting place. While the people had but one thought of gathering in the treasures of the Egyptians. But it was not an easy matter to find Joseph's body. Moses knew that he had been interred in the mausoleum of the Egyptian kings. But there were so many other bodies there that it was impossible to identify it. Moses' mother, Jochebed, came to his aid. She led him to the very spot where Joseph's bones lay. You know, as I read this, let me just stop here for this. As I read this, I, I, kinda, I, I envision like the tomb of like, you know, King Tut, something like that. You know, I, I envisioned something like that. And it, you know, very well could have been. That's what uh, it, it was. Now, I know we read in, in another place that Joseph's bones was like hidden in the Nile River or something like that. Now, we got we to gotta realize too that these are legends. Now, there, there could be, and I do believe that there are truth to it. Uh, but on the other hand, we got to realize that it is legends too. But it, nevertheless, it's very, very interesting to read. And um, I think it's very important to know. Important to know the legends and the traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation of the people of Israel. It says here, as soon as he came near them, he knew, he knew them to be what he was what he was seeking by the fragrance they ex exhaled and spread a, a, around but his difficulties were not at an end the question arose how he was to secure possession of the remains joseph's coffin had been sunk far into the ground and he knew not how to raise it from the depths standing at the edge of the grave he spoke these words joseph the time has come Whereof you did say, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. No sooner 
had this reminder dropped from his lips, then the coffin stirred and rose to the surface. This is very, very similar to what we read earlier. Even And even yet the difficulties in Moses' way were not removed wholly. The Egyptian magicians had stationed two golden dogs at Joseph's coffin to keep watch, and they barked vehemently. If anyone ventured uh, close, they made so loud it could be heard throughout the land from end to end, a distance equal to a 40 days journey. But he silenced them at once with words, quote, Come, you people, and behold a miracle. Real live dogs did not bark. And these counterfeit dogs produced by magic attempt it, attempt it. Unquote. What he said about real live dogs and their refarking had reference to the fact that the dogs of the Egyptians did not move their tongues against any of the children of Israel. Though they had barked all the time, the people were engaged in burying the bodies of their smitten firstborn. As a reward, God gave the Israelites the law to cast to the dogs the flesh they themselves are forbidden to eat. For the Lord withholds due recompense from none of his creatures. You know what? Let me just stop here for a second, because you notice how, especially in these legends of the Jews, as we're reading it, I notice it so much that there's always this concept of you get, you get pay, you get, you get payback. Okay. Whether it's good or not so good, you know, you do good, you get good payback, you get good reward. You do not so good, you get not so good reward. And we, we, I, we read this over and over and over again, not only in the canonized scriptures, but also in this particular document as well. And I should say this particular volume series of books, the legends of the Jews. Indeed, the dogs received a double reward for their excrements are used in tanning the hides from which the, the Torah scrolls are made. As well as the uh, mezuzot and the phylacteries. Mezuzot, those are the um, um, little, um, and now you can buy the mezuzah, right? The mezuzah, mezuzot is the Hebrew for uh, mezuzahs, you know, I guess you would call it. Mezuzah is a little, a little um, vessel, a little, kind of hard to explain it, like a little, a little vial kind of like thing that you put up on the, the doorpost, like, uh, or put up on your doorway. You can nail it up there. Actually, you can, you can buy mezuzahs today, as it uh, says in the in the scriptures that you are to put the uh, you are to write or put the the word of God, the Torah, on your doorposts. So you can buy those little you can buy these little things today. That you can just kind of nail to your doorpost or your door frame, um, and it's got like scriptures in it and that kind of thing. So mezuzot is the Hebrew plural for mezuzah. Psalm ninety four, or Psalm, excuse me, not Psalm ninety four. Psalm one nineteen says. Uh, what the world calls karma, God calls blessings and cursings. Excellent. That's it. That's it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Vin, um, Vin, Vida, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Vida. Good to see you. Welcome. Yeah. So, hey, you know what? You know, I should, I should show you guys. Um, you can buy these mezuzahs. If you guys don't have any, I think it'd be kind of uh, good, good to get some. Mezuzah. Yeah, so like like little things like this. I know it's kind of hard to see. I don't know if I can scroll in or zoom in here, but you have these like little things that you put up on the doorposts, and some of them actually have like. It seems like these have like Hebrew and it looks like English written on the outside, but there should be like a little piece of. Um, uh, little piece of paper in there with 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 scriptures on it so you can get these mezuzahs and uh yeah so i'm just uh looking at christianbook.com right now but i'm sure you can get it in many different places all the way across the internet and you see they're not that expensive either like you know like about ten dollars so yeah all right so let's um Let's go back here. Joseph's coffin in the possession of Moses. The march of the Israelites could begin. The Egyptians put no manner of obstacle in their way. Pharaoh himself accompanied them to make sure that they were actually leaving the land. And now he was so angry at his counselors for having advised against letting the Israelites depart that he slew them. For several reasons, God did not permit the Israelites to travel along the straight, the straight route to the promised land. He desired them to go to Sinai first and take the law of themselves there. And besides, the time divinely appointed for the occupation of the land by the Gentiles had not yet elapsed. Now, you know what? I got to stop here because this is very interesting. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, if you read in the scriptures, it talks about the the sins of the Amorites have not yet been fulfilled. Let's go there for a second. Uh, and so there's this concept where uh, a second here. There's this concept that when a, when a certain people inhabits a land, a certain nation uh, has uh, possession of a land, um, it's like they it's their land as far as as long as they don't reach that tipping point uh, in their in sin and in, in iniquity. Now let's just go back here because this is. Um, Okay, Genesis chapter 15. This is interesting. This is interesting. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. Now, God is talking to Abraham. It says, as the sun was setting, 
Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So this is a spiritual thing, right? Basically, basically God put him out, put him out. Spiritual anesthetic, okay? Um, verse 13. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Now, of course, this is talking about the children of Israel in Egypt. Verse 14. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, as we know that was done with the the 10 plagues, and afterward they will come out with great possessions, right? That's the Exodus. Verse 15, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. Remember, Abram was in the promised land, so to speak. For the sins, here's, here it is right here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The sins, the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Whenever I read this, I think about something I saw at a, at a, um, at an, uh, it was actually a, a zoo, actually. I saw this at a zoo years back. There was this bucket. I don't know if you guys ever saw this. Let me know in the live chat if you ever saw a bucket like there's this huge bucket that they got that's hanging up and it's got like an axle that goes through. Let's say this is the bucket. There's like an axle that goes through the bucket, right? And so, but it's off, it's not centered, right? So it's off a little bit. So it's like a big steel rod that goes through the bucket and it's off. And there's water that's pouring into the bucket. And when the water gets so full, the bucket, because it's because the um, the axle is off center, off the center of gravity, when when the when the bucket gets so full, it gets it it dumps itself because it gets top heavy. Okay, and it go it dumps itself right, dumps out completely. Then it comes back again because after it's empty, uh, just the physics of it, it goes it comes back uh, into its original position, and then it keeps on filling. And that's what I think about as I read through the Tanakh, because you see this happen all the time when you got a nation and, you know, maybe their bucket starts out empty. The bucket of sin, I guess you might call it. But the sins keep on pouring in, pouring in, pouring in. Excuse me. And when, it, when, the, when the sin of that nation reaches its, quote unquote, full measure, as we see here, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, the, the sin of the Amorites have reached its full measure. That so-called, that bucket, as I would call it, dumps out. In other words, they fall. The nation falls. And you get this cycle that keeps on going, especially with the children of Israel, even at, like, especially after the Exodus. You know, they... They're, they start out good, and they start out with an empty bucket, but the sins keep on building and building and building until the sins reach the full measure, and God God judges them. And then they're humble again. Then they, you know, it's like, it's like that bucket of sin dumps, and then start out again. And it's just a cycle. And it's, it's a cycle goes over and over and over again. As we read through the Tanakh, we'll see it. Lord willing, if we, you know, hopefully we get through the entire Tanakh. But this is, this is very, 
very important to understand because we see this happening. And this happened in many nations all across the world throughout the ages. Whenever a nation reached its full measure of sin, it, it, that bucket dumped, so to speak. You know, that happened with the Roman Empire, okay? That happened with, you know, the Babylonian Empire. That happened with, um, of course, here, the Amorites, with the children of Israel many, many times. I think that now in America and many of the Western countries, we are getting to that point where we're almost tipping. Okay? of the people in these nations are at that point where that bucket is about to go and tip. And so, but God did not, did not take the children of Israel, according to the legends of the Jews, did not take the children of Israel directly to the promised land, but around a little bit, around like the long way, because the Amorites were not yet ready. The Amorites, they still had a little bit more grace to go. They still had a little bit more grace before God said, okay, enough is enough. You guys have lost your right to the land, and uh, the children of Israel are going to take over. So it's very, very important. Okay, let me see what we got. Dale on YouTube. I really thought you were going to dump that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I've got a keyboard right in front of me, and that wouldn't be very nice. I don't think that wouldn't be very good either. I would dump it on my lap, right? That would have been quite a demonstration, though. Yeah, it would have been a good demonstration for sure. I would have suffered, but yeah. So let's get back to the um, legends of the Jews. So we see that here. Again, let me just read this last uh, sentence again. He, God, desired them to go to Sinai first and take the law upon themselves there. And besides... The time divinely appointed for the occupation of the land by the Gentiles, quote unquote, like, i.e. the Amorites, had not yet elapsed. So then they were not ready to get the boot yet. Over and above all, all this, the long sojourn in the wilderness was fraught with profit for the Israelites, spiritually and materially. See, sometimes, sometimes it is to our benefit that we go through a wilderness. You know, it really is. If everything was just hunky-dory all the time, sometimes it's to our benefit that we go through a wilderness. And some of you might feel like you're going through a wilderness right now. If you are in that position where you're like, you know, I feel like I'm going through a wilderness. Hang in there. <laughs> that I mean, if you're getting tested, don't, don't walk out on the test, okay? Consistency, consistently walk with the Lord. Can stay consistent, like you know, patience and Job, right? So uh, keep it, you know, hang in there, and God will see you through, and you'll end up better off in the long run. You'll end up way better off in the long run, as it says here. The wilderness was fraught with profit for the Israelites spiritually and materially. If they had reached Palestine directly after leaving Egypt, they would have devoted themselves entirely each to the cultivation of his allotted parcel of ground, and no time would have been left for the study of the Torah. Wow, look at that. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So it's like, 
there's like multiple reasons why God kind of took him around the long way. And one of those reasons is just to give them time to, you know, not get so distracted by the, the way the, the world and the worldly affairs of the cultivation of the, the land and all, all that kind of thing, but rather just to study the Torah. Very, very interesting, isn't, isn't that? I uh, see on YouTube we have Vinny says, Midnight, praying for all. Elohim bless you. Wow, midnight. Yes, must Elavida in Holland. Must be late there. Elohim bless you more, Vida. Okay. So, um, in the necessity of providing for their daily want, and they would give all their efforts to acquiring the law. On the whole, it would not have been advantageous to process at once the Holy Land and take possession thereof. For when the Canaanites heard that the Israelites were making for Palestine, they burnt the crop, the water springs, all in order to uninhabitable. You know, this, even though that's not in the Bible per se, you know, I can see that happening. I can see that happening. Yeah, I can see that happening because it was well known. I mean, if Abraham knew it, I'm sure the word got around even in those days that, hey, you know, the children of Israel are coming back here. And you get word, okay, now they're, you know, all the children of Israel, they've been, you know, they've been driven out of uh, Egypt. They're coming. Uh, let's make, you know, let's make it hard for them to come. Uh, I can see that happening. On YouTube, um, Brian Gimo says, Shalom, Shalom, Brian. Good to see you. Welcome. Davey says, Shalom, Shalom, Davey. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you guys. Yes, I hope you're having an awesome evening or day wherever you are in the world. I know, Brian, I believe you're in South Africa, if I can remember correctly there. Continuing with the legends of the Jews, hereupon God spake and said, I did not promise their fathers to give a devastated land unto their, uh, unto their sea, but a land full of all good things. I will lead them about in the wilderness for 40 years. And meanwhile, the Canaanites will have time to repair the damage they have done. You know, again, although this is not in the scriptures, in the, uh, in the canonized in the commonly canonized scriptures, it 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 just very well couldn't be. You know, it very well could be a, a, a truth here. I can see that happening, and you see, there's like layer upon layer upon layer of reasons why God led them for forty years in the wilderness. Now, I do believe in the canonized scripture, the commonly canonized scripture, as I would call it. Uh, it does say that the reason why they, they were led around so much is because of their waywardness, all kinds of things like that. But, you know, the way God works, he does work. He does, he's, you know, he's not a shallow God. When he does something, a lot of times there are, there are multiple levels, multiple purposes to, to his work. And so yeah, I can see this happening. Continuing. 
Moreover, the many miracles performed for the Israelites during the journey through the wilderness had made their terror to fall upon the other nations, and their hearts melted, and, and there remained no more spirit in any man. They did not venture to attack the Israelites, and the conquest of the land was all the easier. Again, that makes a whole lot of sense. It does. That makes sense. Nor does this exhaust the list of reasons for preferring the longer route throughout the desert. Abraham had sworn a solemn oath to live at peace with the Philistines during a certain period. And at the end of the term, uh, of the term had not yet arrived. And the end of the term had not yet arrived. Besides, there was the fear that the sight of the land of the Philistines would awaken sad recollections in the Israelites and drive them back to Egypt speedily. For once upon a time, it had been a scene of bitter disappointment to them. They had spent 180 years in Egypt in peace and prosperity, not in, not in the least molested by the people. Suddenly, Gan, Ganon, Ganon came, a descendant of Joseph, of the tribe of Ephraim, and he said, The Lord has appeared unto me, and he bade me lead you forth out of Egypt. Now, the Ephraimites were the only ones to heed his words. Proud of their royal lineage as direct descendants of Joseph and confident to their valor in war, for they were great heroes, they left the land and betook themselves to Palestine. They carried only weapons and gold and silver. They had taken no provisions. They expected to buy food and drink on the way or capture them by force if the owners would not part with them for money. After a day's march, they found themselves in the neighborhood of Gath, at the place where the shepherds employed of the city gathered with the flocks, the Ephraimites asked them to sell them some sheep, which they expected to slaughter in order to satisfy hunger with them. But the shepherds refused to have business dealings with them, saying, Are the sheep ours, or does the cattle belong to us, that we could part them for money? Seeing that they could not gain their point with kindness, the Ephraimites Ephraimites used force. The outcries of the shepherds brought the people of Gath to their aid. A violent encounter lasting took place between the Israelites and the Philistines. The people of Gath realized that alone they would not be able to offer successful resistance to the Ephraimites, and they summoned the people of the other Philistine cities to join them. The following day, an army of 40,000 stood ready to oppose the Ephraimites, reduced in strength as they were by their three days fast. They were exterminated root and branch. All right, so they fasted for three days and they were pretty weak. Only 10 of them escaped with their bare life and returned to Egypt to bring Ephraim word of the disaster that had overtaken his posterity 
and he mourned many days, many days. You know, just before I go too far as well, just to kind of uh, give you guys a little bit of a little bit of a announcement here. Uh, I know that there's probably some new people here. Um, maybe you're not familiar with our schedule, but every Sabbath, every Saturday, we go live 2 p.m. Eastern. Okay, so. Tomorrow, we will be going live, 2 p.m. Eastern, Lord willing. And um, it's a special day, so I'll be having, Lord willing, I'll have some special things going on tomorrow. Just just, uh, just in case, I just wanted, to, um, just wanted to let you guys know about that. So, um, yeah, let's go on here with the Legends of the Jews. This abortive attempt of the Ephraimites to leave Egypt was the first occasion for oppressing Israel. Thereafter, the, the Egyptians forced and vigilance to keep them in their land. As for the disaster of the Ephraimites, it was, it was well-merited punishment because they had paid no heed to the wish of the father of, to their, excuse me, of the father Joseph who had adjured his descendants solemnly on his deathbed not to think of quitting the land until the Redeemer should appear. Their death was followed by disgrace, for their bodies lay unburied for many years on the battlefield, of the battle, excuse me, on the battlefield near Gath. And the purpose of God in directing the Israelites to choose the longer route from Egypt to Canaan was to spare them the sight of those dishonored corpses. Their courage might have deserted them. And, and out of apprehension of the fate of our brethren, they might hasten back to the land of slavery. Pharaoh pursues the Hebrews. When Pharaoh permitted Israel to depart, he was under the impression that they were going only three days' journey into the wilderness for the purpose of offering sacrifices. Again, we don't see the we don't see that detail in the in the uh, book of Genesis or in the book of Exodus. He sent officers with them, whose duty was to bring them back at the appointed time. The Exodus took place on a Thursday. On the following Sunday, the king's watchers noticed that the Israelites, so far from preparing for a return, were making arrangements looking, uh, looking to a long sojourn in the desert. They remonstrated and urged them to go back. The Israelites maintained that Pharaoh had them for good, but the officers would not be put off with mere assertions. They said, Willy-nilly, you will have to do as the powers that be command. To such arrogance, the Israelites would not submit, and they fell upon the officers, slaying some and wounding others. Boy, that talk about a revolt. There you go. The main survivors went back to Egypt and reported and report the contumacy, or contumacy of the Israelites to Pharaoh. Meantime, Moses, who did not desire the departure of his people to have the appearance of flight before the Egyptians, gave the signal to turn back to Pihahiroth. 
Those of little faith among the Israelites tore their hair and their garments in desperation, though Moses assured them that by the word of God, they were free men and no longer slaves to Pharaoh. Accordingly, they retraced their steps to Pihahiroth. There were two rectangles. Excuse me, where two rectangular rocks form an opening, within which the great sanctuary of Baal, Zephon, was situated. The rocks are shaped like human figures. The one a man and the other a woman. And they were not chiseled by human hands, but by the Creator Himself. The place had been called Pithon in earlier times. But later, on account of the idols set up there, it received the name Hahiroth. Of set purpose, God had left Baal Zephon uninjured, alone of all the Egyptian idols. He wanted the Egyptian people to think that this idol was possessed of exceeding might, which it exercised to prevent Israelites, the Israelites from journeying on. To confirm them in their illusory belief caused wild beasts to obstruct the road to the wilderness, and they took it for granted that their idol, Baal Zephon, had ordained their appearance. Pihahith was famous, besides, on account of the treasures heaped up there. The wealth of the world which Joseph had acquired through the sale of corn he had stored up during the seven years of plenty, he had divided into three parts. The first part he surrendered to Pharaoh. The second part he concealed in the wilderness, where it was found by Korah, though it disappeared again, not to come to view until the Messianic time. And then it will be for the, the benefit of the pious. The third part Joseph hid in the sanctuary of Baal-Zephon, Whence, from where the, the Hebrews carried it off as booty. When Amalek and the magicians brought the information to Pharaoh, and Israelites had resolved not to return to Egypt, his heart and the heart of his whole people turned against them. Up here for a second. As I read this, I got to say, in the book of Exodus, it doesn't give us much detail at all about why, like, why would Pharaoh want to pursue them again? Uh, he, you know, God hardened his heart, but how did God harden his heart? What did God use? And with these kind of details, it kind of makes it a little bit more reasonable. It makes it more, you know, you understand a little bit more of how this may have come about. Continuing. The very counselors that had pers persuaded him to dismiss the children of Israel spake now as, as follows, quote, If we had only been smitten with the plagues, we could have resigned ourselves to our fate. Or if, besides being smitten with the plagues, we had been compelled to let the Hebrews depart from the land, that too we could have been born with patience. But to be smitten with the plagues... To be compelled to let our slaves depart from us and to buy and see them go off with our riches, that is more than we can endure. Now that the children of Israel had gone from them, the Egyptians recognized how valuable the 
an element they had been in their country. <laughs> you don't know what you got until it's gone, right? In general, the time of the exodus of Israel was disastrous, disastrous for their former masters. In addition to losing their dominion over the Israelites, the Egyptians had to deal with mutinies that broke out among many to them. And for hitherto, Pharaoh had been the ruler of the whole world. Because you realize that uh, Egypt at that point in time was basically the superpower of the world. The king resorted to blandishments and promises to induce the people to make war against the Israelites, saying, As a rule, the army marches forth first, and the king follows in security. But I will precede you. And as a rule, the king has the first choice of the booty and as much of it as he desires. But I will make no more th than any, excuse me, but I will take no more than any one of you. And on my return from the war, I will divide my treasures of silver, gold, and precious stones among you. In his zeal, Pharaoh did not wait to have his chariot made ready for him. He did it with his own hands and his nobles followed his example. Samael granted Pharaoh assistance, putting 600 chariots manned with his own hosts at his disposal. By the way, for those of you who don't know, Samael is an angel, is an angel. Um, and in this particular instance, it would have been uh, an evil angel, Samael. These formed the vanguard, and they were joined by all the Egyptians with their vast assemblages of chariots and warriors, no less than 300 of their men, to one of the children of Israel, each equipped with their different sorts of weapons. Now, this is very, like, this is a lot. Right? Can you imagine? Like, again, we don't have these details here in the book of Exodus, but basically, the, the army of Egypt, according to this, was 300 times the size of the children of Israel and the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with Moses. 300 to 1. Outnumbered 300 to 1, basically. The general custom was for two charioteers to take turns at driving a car, but to overtake the Israelites more surely and Speedily, Pharaoh ordered three to be assigned to each. The result was that they, in one day, the ground which it had taken the Israelites three to traverse. Uh, so we got here on YouTube. Mark says shalom, shalom, Mark. Good to see you. Welcome, Zapazoid. Welcome, Zapazoid. It's been a while. Remember, I remember you. We've got on YouTube can help you all learn about Yahweh. Yes. Yeah. So um let's continue with the legends of the Jews. The mind of the Egyptians was in no wise directed towards spoil and plunder in this expedition. Their sole and determined purpose was to exterminate Israel, 
kith and kin. <laughs> I got to think about how even today we got the nation of Israel and how many people they are determined to destroy Israel, even today. As the heathen lay great stress upon omens, where they are about to start out a, a campaign, God, God caused all their preparations to proceed smoothly without the slightest untoward circumstance. Everything pointing to a happy issue. Pharaoh himself, an, ad, an adept in magic, had a presentiment that desire misfortune would would befall the children of Israel in the wilderness, that they would lose Moses there, and there the whole congregation, or the whole generation, I should say, that had departed from Egypt would find its grave. Therefore, he spoke to Dathan and Abiram, who remained behind in Egypt, saying, Moses is leading them, but he himself knows not where. Truly, this congregation of Israel will lift up their voice in the wilderness and cry, and there they will be destroyed. He thought naturally that these visions had reference to an imminent future, but the time of his meeting with his dismissed slaves, excuse me, to the time of his meeting with his dismissed slaves, but his error was profound. He was hurrying forward to his own destruction. When he reached the sanctuary of Baal Zephon, Pharaoh, in his joy at, at finding him, spared while all the other idols in Egypt had been annihilated, lost no time, but hastened to offer sacrifices to him. And he was comforted, for he said, Baal Zephon approves of my purpose of drowning the children of Israel in the sea. Let's see, we got uh, BB there on YouTube, says Shabbat Shalom from Will Sr. and myself. Brother and, brother and sisters, Shabbat Shalom, good to see you. Welcome, as always. Hope you're doing well, as well as Will Sr. When the Israelites beheld the huge detachments of the Egyptian army moving upon them, and when they considered that in Migdol, other troops stationed, besides more indeed than their own numbers, men, women, and children all told great terror overwhelmed them. What frightened them most was the sight of the angel of Egypt darting through the air as he flew to the assistance of the people under his tutelage. They turned to Moses, saying, What have you done to us? Now they will requite us for all that has happened, that their firstborn were smitten, and that we ran off with their money, which was your fault. For you did bid up, borrow gold and silver from our Egyptian neighbors, and depart with their property. Let's get him before we go on here. Uh, Vita says Psalm 106 is the same like Exodus and is only one psalm with um, with Amen inside Psalm. Amazing. 
Yeah, Psalm 106. Psalm 106, and it talks about the, uh, let's go there for a second. Psalm 106. Uh, Let's give me a second. Pull this up. Psalm 106, verse 1, hallelujah, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving devotion endures forever. Who can describe who can describe his mighty acts of the mighty acts of the Lord or fully proclaim his praise? Blessed are those who uphold justice, practice righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, in your favor to your people. Visit me with your salvation that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones and rejoice in the gladness of your nation and give glory with your inheritance. We have sinned like our fathers. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not grasp your wonders or remember your abundant kindness, but they rebelled by the sea, there at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for the sake of his name to make his power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them with the hand that hated them, from the hand that hated them, excuse me. He redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their foes. Not one of them remained. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. Yet they soon forgot his works. This is what happens, you know. I mean, even today, you know, as human beings, you know, it's, we're prone to do this, you know, forget. I know people, I know people that have been so wonderfully saved and had a wonderful walk with the Lord. And all of a sudden it's like, they just forgot, like, you know, they backslide and they forget about the Lord. And, um, yeah, it's a sad situation. And that's the reason why too, you see in the Torah, we, we spoke about this earlier, um, in previous live streams, and that is that God instituted some of these feasts and holidays because he he wanted his people to always remember, right? Passover, right? Uh, Sukkot. He wanted people to always remember what he did. He didn't want them to forget his works. It's very important. Whatever God did in your life, I think it's important to remember what God did in your life, to look to to look back and to think and to give him praise and glory for the things that he did for you. But they soon forgot his works and they failed to wait for his counsel. They craved intensely in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. So he granted their request. This is this is kind of interesting too. Sometimes you'd say, well, God gave, you know, why would God do something that really is not the best for them? Sometimes it's just because God, even though you you can request something that's not the best for you, and God can still give it to you. Look at the children of Israel in, you know, uh, after the time of Solomon, and uh, when he... God told them not to take a king. You know, you don't want a king. Because they're like, well, all the other nations have have their own kings, but we don't have a king. God, give us a king. And God's like, no, it, it's not good for you. Do you realize what a king's going to do? Like, do you realize 
<laughs> all the things you're going to have to endure because of a king. The tax, you know, tax you. He'll do this or you know, he'll do that. It's going to be a problem. You know, you guys have it good. You got God is the king. It's the Lord is your king. You know, but no, they asked, and they're 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 persistent. They wanted a king, and God's like, okay. I'll give you a king then, you know, and sent Solomon to, or not Solomon, Samuel, excuse me, to anoint Saul. Even though it wasn't God's, you know, best, you know, his first choice, so, so to speak. God did it just because the people craved a king. He, they wanted a king. They prayed for a king, even though it wasn't really God's, God's like, no, I, I don't think it's good for you. But you want it? Okay, here you go. Take it. In the same way, they craved intensely in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. So he granted their request. And that's amazing. I think that's amazing because it's, it shows like, you know, God's, God, it shows the father, father heart of God. It shows how even like a father, a child might ask a father for something and it may not be the best, but, you know, you think, you know, if the child wants it, you know, so much a father might give the child something that would not be his first choice. So he granted their request, but sent a wasting disease upon them. In the camp, they envied Moses as well as Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It covered the assembly of Abiram. Then fire blazed through their company. Flames consumed the wicked. At Horeb, they made a calf and worshipped molten image. They exchanged the, their glory for the image of a grassy ox. They forgot God, their Savior, who did great things in Egypt. Again, we see this here. It's so important to remember. Wondrous works in the land of Ham. The land of Ham is Africa. Right? And in, in awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to divert his wrath from destroying them. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes, it is just an amazing. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you, Vita, for pointing that out. Psalm 106. Eric says, Shalom all and good evening. Shalom, Eric, good evening. Welcome as always. BB says, we are, we are good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for praying him, or we are. Thank you for praying him, um, praying for him. Excuse me. Uh, his, he's much better. Praise Yah. Amen. Amen. It's awesome. Okay. Very good. I was wondering how you're doing. So awesome. Yes. Praise God. Glory to God. All right. So let's continue with the legends of the Jews. The situation of the Israelites was desperate. Before them was the sea, behind them the Egyptians, on both sides the wild beasts of the desert. Now again, we don't have this particular detail in the book of Exodus either, although we do know that they were cornered. How they were cornered? Now this makes more sense because otherwise, you know, you're thinking that maybe they're caught in some like little, I don't know what you would call it. You're caught, like, what I envisioned was like the, 
army of, of, of Pharaoh was just like so, so big. They kind of, they just, they just kind of engulfed them um, all around them. But this, this actually makes more sense as well. The wicked among them spoke to Moses saying, while we were in Egypt, we said to you and Aaron, the Lord look upon you and judge because you have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword to, the, to their hand to slay us. Then there died many of our brethren during the days of darkness which was worse than the bondage in, the, in, in which the Egyptians kept us. Nevertheless, our fate in the desert will be sadder than theirs. They at least mourned, and their bodies are buried, but our corpses will lie exposed, consumed in the day by drought and by frost in the night. Moses, in his wisdom, knew how to pacify the thousands and myriads under his leadership. He impressed the words, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. When will his salvation come? questioned the people. And he told them it would appear in the, follow uh, the following day. But they protested, We cannot wait until tomorrow. Then Moses prayed to God, and the Lord showed him the angel hosts ready, standing ready to hasten the assistance of the, to this, excuse me, to the assistance of the people. Reminds me in the days of Elijah and uh, Gehazi, when uh, it looks like they were outnumbered with the enemy, the enemy armies. You know the story, and you know. Uh, God opened Gehazi's eyes to see that there were more with them than there were with their enemy. There were more because they, the angel, the armies of the angels around them. They were not agreed as to what they were to do. There were four contending parties. The opinion of the first party was that they seek death by, drown, by drowning in the sea. Of the second, that they would return to Egypt, the was in favor of a pitched battle with the enemy. And the fourth thought it would be a good plan to intimidate the Egyptians by noise and a great hubbub. To the first, Moses said, stand still, salvation of the Lord. To the second, the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. To the third, the Lord will fight for you. And to the fourth, you shall hold your peace. Hmm, that's very interesting, isn't it? What then shall we do? These asked their leader. And Moses answered them saying, you shall bless, praise, extol, Adore and glorify him that is the Lord of war. Instead of the sword and the five sorts of arms which they bore, they made use of their, they made use, says mad here, 
typo. They made use of their mouth and was of greater avail than all possible weapons of war. And the words that they spoke were of greater avail than all possible weapons of war. That's pretty powerful. The Lord hearkened unto their prayer for which he had been waiting. Moses also addressed himself to God, saying, quote, O Lord of the world, I am like a shepherd. I am like the shepherd who, having undertaken to pass lock, has been heedless enough to drive his sheep to the edge of a precipice. And then in his and then is in a despair how to get them down again. Pharaoh is behind my flock Israel. In the south is Baal Zephon, in the north Migdal, and before us the sea lies spread out. You know, O Lord, that it is beyond human strength and human contrivance to surmount the difficulties standing in our way. Yours alone is the work of procuring deliverance for this army which left Egypt at your appointment. We despair of all other assistance or device, and we have recourse only to our hope in you. If there be any escape possible, we look to we look up to your providence to accomplish it for us. Unquote. With such words, Moses continued to make fervent supplication and secure and succor Israel in their need. But God cut short his prayer, saying, Moses, my children are in distress. The sea blocks the way before them. The enemy is in hot pursuit after them. And you stand here and pray. Sometimes long prayer is good, but sometimes it is better to be brief. <laughs> it reminds me of Yeshua saying, you know, don't think you're heard just because of your, your long, your lengthy prayers. Remember Yeshua said that? Don't think you're heard, you know, that because of your many words. Sometimes a brief prayer is good enough. If I gathered the waters together unto one place, into one place, and let the dry land appear for Adam in a single human being, in a single human being, should I not do the same for this holy congregation? I will save them if only for the sake of the merits of Abraham, good, ready to sacrifice his son Isaac unto me, and for the sake of my promise to Jacob. The sun and the moon are witnesses that I will cleave the sea for the seed of the children of Israel, who deserve my help for going after me in the wilderness unquestioningly. See, God took notice of, of their faith and their trust in him. Right? He repaid them. He repaid them because they trusted him. That's faith. Do but see to it that they abandon their evil thought of returning to Egypt, and then it will, it will not be necessary to turn to me and entreat my help. Moses, however, was still very much troubled in mind on account of Samael, who had not left off dodging accusations before God against Israel since the exodus from Egypt, right? So let me just stop here again. Note, you know, this is the thing when it comes to 
the evil spirits, uh, the devil. Um, you know, Satan, uh, the name Satan, one of the meanings of the, of the name Satan would be uh, the accuser, accuser or slanderer. Okay, And we know that it says in the book of Re Revelation that Satan is before God's throne day and night accusing the brethren. Let's not give Satan a reason for accusation. Let's not give, let's not give any of his accusations weight. And how do you do that? Again, by ensuring that you are in line with God's word. You're in line with the law of God, the instructions of God. The Lord adopted the same procedure in dealing with the accuser as the experienced shepherd who at the moment of transferring his sheep across a stream was faced by a rav ravening wolf. The shepherd threw a strong ram to the wolf. And while the, the two engaged in combat, the rest of the flock was carried across the river. And then the shepherd returned and and snatched the wolf's supposed prey away from him. Samael said to the Lord, quote, Up to this time, the children of Israel were idol worshippers, and now you purpose so great a thing as dividing the sea for them? There's, there's the accusation right there. A lot of accusation against Christians today in the in the in in the way of being Christians being idol worshippers as well, we got to be careful not to be accusing like that. Moving on, what did the Lord do? He surrendered Job to Samael, saying, "While he bruises himself with Job, or excuse me, numbers. While he busies himself with Job, Israel will pass through the Red Sea unscathed." And as soon as they are in safety, I will re rescue Job from the hands of Samael. Hmm. So according to this, now we read a lot about Job uh, right from like the earlier times in, in the legends of the Jews. So it's very interesting, like how could Job be in many places in different ages at the same time? But just an interesting thought here that's, that this that this portrays, that this um presents to us. And that is that Job uh, was kind of like God's little way of side, you know, distracting uh, the devil, distract the devil with, with Job. And while the uh, children of Israel were, were to cross the Red Sea. Israel had other angel adversaries besides Uzzah, the tutelary angel of the Egyptians appeared before God and said, quote, O Lord of the world. Notice, you see, the, the, these angels and these, these, de, these devils never, they would never address God as Father, Abba, or anything like that, but just simply God or Lord, Creator, this kind of thing. So it's very important to know God as Father, not just as Creator, God, this kind of thing, but rather as Father. It's it's that's what makes the big distinction. I think that that could have been one of the reasons why the disciples recognized Jesus 
you know, the road to Emmaus, remember when Jesus appeared to the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and then they had him over and they didn't know it was Jesus until he prayed. And then when he prayed, their eyes were open like, oh, this is Jesus. This is the risen Christ we were talking to. I think there was something about that prayer that gave it that gave him away, that gave his identity away. More than I think it's likely, at least likely, okay, that it was the way that Yeshua prayed. Father, Father, not just not just creator, but Father. So anyway, we have Uzzah, this other angel, um, coming before God and saying, Oh Lord of the world, I have a suit with this nation. In other words, I want to, you know, I'm coming before you, God, basically as, as judge is almost like a, a court case he's opening up here. I have a suit with this nation, which you have brought forth out, out, uh, out of Egypt. If it seems well to you, let their angel Michael appear and contend with me before you. <laughs> Why, he's calling for a fight with Michael? I don't think that's a very good idea. The Lord summoned Michael and Uzzah stated his charges against Israel. Quote, O Lord of the world, you did decree concerning this people of Israel that it has been held in, in bondage by my people, the Egyptians, for a period of 400 years. Interesting, it says my people, the Egyptians. But they had dominion over them only 18 years, excuse me, 86 years. Therefore, the time of their going forth has not yet arrived. If it be your will, give me permission to take them back to Egypt, that they may continue in slavery for 314 years that are left, and that your word be fulfilled, as you are immutable. So let your decree be immutable. By the way, guys, you know that the Torah is immutable. We know that, right? The Torah is immutable. And you notice, you see how this evil angel really like connivingly trying to persuade God to give him permission to take them back to Egypt. Now, don't forget, this is. A picture of us being delivered from sin, right? When the Israelites came out of Egypt and went into the promised land, that's basically, that's a picture of the born again experience. When you and I have come out of our life of sin and, you know, we go through our wilderness and we go into the promised land, so to speak, we go into our, we, we enter that place of salvation. We enter that promised land so to speak. And, you know, going through the Red Sea, going through the, the Jordan, uh, so to speak, crossing the Jordan River, that's a, that's a symbol of baptism. Jeff says, Shalom from Jeff and visiting friend Alfred. Shalom, Jeff and Alfred. Welcome. Hope you guys are having an awesome, awesome evening there. Praise Yahuwah. Amen, amen, amen. 
So let's continue here with the legends of the Jews. Michael was silent, for he knew not how to controvert these words. And it seemed as if Uzzah had won his suit. But the Lord himself espoused the cause of Israel. And he said to Uzzah, quote, The duty of serving your nation was laid upon my children only on account of an unseemly word uttered by Abraham. Wow. So according to this, they only went they went down to Egypt because of what Abra, it just what, what Abraham said. Think about that for a minute. Think about how powerful words are. I mean, if you know, if this is true, and you know, we know that words are very powerful anyway. The, the, the you know, in, in the scriptures we read how it says the power of life and death are in the are in the tongue, right? When you think about Abraham just spoke something that maybe he shouldn't have. And because of that, his descendants had to go through 400 years of bondage. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's powerful. It's powerful. We got to watch what we say, right? When I spoke to him saying, I am the Lord that brought you out of the Ur of Chaldees, right? Ur means the fire or light, the fire of Chaldees, because the whole story of, of Abraham being delivered from the furnace of, of fire. To give you this land to inherit it, he made answer, whereby shall I know that I will inherit it? Therefore did I say to him, your seed shall be a stranger. Hmm. So according to this, just because Abraham kind of doubted, asked the question, how, how, how should I know that I shall inherit it? His descendants were a stranger in that land. But it is well known and manifest before me that they were strangers from the day of Isaac's birth and reckoning thence, the period of 400 years has elapsed and you have no right to keep my children in bondage any longer. <laughs> period. End of story. The sea divided. God spake to Moses saying, why do you stand here praying? Oh, I like this. You guys know that. I mean, for those of you who heard me talk about this before, I like the, I like, I just like this because you think about a lot of Christians think that God is just there at their beck and call all the time. And he is many, you know, he is, he, he is a very loving and, and, and merciful father. But the way that God responded to Moses here is just absolutely amazing. Moses is in a desperate situation. He's cornered by the army of Egypt, the army of Pharaoh, and he's He's crying unto God for deliverance. He's crying unto God for a miracle, and he's so desperate. And what's God say to him? Why do you cry to me? Why are you praying? <laughs> Why are you praying? And you know, and this is another, this is another piece of evidence of how God is so practical. God is such a practical God. 
a lot of times you might be praying for something and he was, you know, he'll say, you go get it. You do everything in your power to get it and I'll do the rest. You know? <laughs> Why do you stand here praying? God said to Moses. My children's prayer has anticipated yours. For, for you, there is nothing to do but lift up your, your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. In other words, in other words, God said, like, summarize it. Like, let's put it into like summary here. God said to Moses, Why do you what are you crying to me for? You do you do it. You divide the Red Sea. You do it. You stretch out your hand over the sea. You divide it. I gave you the power. I gave you my spirit. I gave you my word. You move. And that's the way it is a lot of times when we're praying. Sometimes we can be praying and God can be like, hey, you've got my word. You've got my promise. You've got my spirit. You've got my power. You move. You move. Jeff says, thank you, God. Thank God for you, Enoch. Thank you very much. I appreciate your kind comments. I really needed your words. My brothers, 1 John 2.26 says, give the channel a thumbs up. And if you're led to support this channel, go to subscribe star. Yes, thank you very much, 1 John 2.26. Uh, the link is also in the description as well. I appreciate that, you guys. Jeff and 1 John 2.26. Bless you guys. Thank you very much. Jeff says, I am Alfred Matthias Matthias McCann. Okay. Uh, shalom, guys. Yeah, so this is an amazing, amazing lesson we can learn from, from this, right? Like the God answers Moses. In, in their probably one of their most desperate situations they were in, God answers Moses. It seems like almost like a, it almost seems like a cold, like giving them the cold, like in a cold way, but it's not really. I mean, God is basically just saying, hey, you know, you, you got, I gave you guys, I gave you guys my word. I gave you guys my promise. I gave you guys, you've got it all. You've got my spirit. You've got the ability. You do it. You stretch out your hand over the scene. You divide it. Moses replied, "You command you command me to to divide the sea and lay bare the dry ground in the midst of it, and yet you did you did yourself make." a perpetual decree that the sand shall be placed for a bound of the sea. And God spake to Moses, you have, you have not read the beginning of the Torah. I, yes, I did speak, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let dry land appear. And at that time I made the condition that 
the water shall divide before Israel. Take the rod that I gave to you and go to the sea upon my errand and speak like this, quote, I am the messenger sent by the creator of the world. Uncover your paths, O sea, for my children, that they may go through the midst of you on dry ground, unquote. Reminds me of how God spoke to other prophets, how God, you know, uh, commanded Ezekiel, for example, to speak to the, the dry, uh, dry bones and other such examples like that. Moses spoke to the sea as God had bidden him, but it replied, I will not do according to your words, for you are only a man born of woman. And besides, I am three days older than you, O man, for I was brought forth on the third day of creation and you on the sixth. So Moses actually stood for Adam. Moses stood for Adam. Moses lost no time, but carried back to God the words the sea has spoken. And the Lord said, Moses, what does a master do with an intractable servant? He beats him with a rod, Moses said Moses. Do that, ordered God. Lift up your rod and stretch it out over, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Thereupon Moses raised up his rod, the rod that had been created at the very beginning of the world, on which were given graven in plain letters the great and exalted name, the names of the ten plagues inflicted upon the Egyptians, and the names of the three fathers, the six mothers, and the twelve tribes of Jacob. This rod he lifted up and stretched it out over the sea. The sea, however, continued in its perverseness, and Moses entreated God to give his command direct to it. But God refused, saying, were I to command the sea to divide it, it would it would never again return to its former estate. Therefore, you convey my order to it, that it be not drained dry forever. But I will let a semblance of my strength accompany you, that, and that will compel its obedience. When the sea saw the strength of God at the right hand of Moses, It spoke to the earth, saying, Make hollow places for me that I may hide myself therein before the Lord of all created things. Blessed be he. Noticing the terror of the sea, Moses said to it, For a whole day I spoke to you at the bidding of the Holy One who desired you to divide, but you refused to pay heed to my words, even when I showed you my rod. You did remain obdurate. What has happened now that you skip from here, that you go on from here? The sea replied, I am fleeing. Not before you, but before the Lord of all created things, that his name be magnified in all the earth. And the waters of the Red Sea divided, and and not they alone, but all the waters in heaven and on earth in whatever vessel it was, in cisterns, in wells, in caves, in casks, casks, 
in pitchers, in drinking cups, and in glasses, and none of these waters return to their former estate until Israel has passed through the sea on dry land. The angel Gabriel was eager to drown the Egyptians during the same night, but God bade him wait until early the next day, until the hour of morning watch, when Abraham had made himself ready to set out for the sacrifice of his son. Gabriel succeeded, however, in holding back the turbulent water about to sweep over Israel to to the wall of water on the right He called, Beware of Israel, who will receive the law in time to come from the the right hand of the Lord. And turning to the wall of water on the left, he said, Beware of Israel, who will wind the flak trees around their left hand in time to come. The water behind behind him, excuse me, the water behind he admonished, Beware of Israel, who will let the seat seat drop down upon their back in time to come. And to the water towering in front of them, he called, Beware of Israel, who bear the sign of the covenant upon their bodies. God caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. The wind he always makes use of when he chastises the nations. The same east wind he has brought, uh, had brought the deluge. Talking about the uh, Noah, right? The flood of Noah. And it had laid the Tower of Babel in ruins. It was to cause the destruction of Samaria, Jerusalem, entire. And it will, in future, be the instrument of castigating Rome drunken with pleasure. And likewise, the sinners in Gehenna are punished by means of the east wind. All night long, long, God made it to blow over the sea. To prevent the enemy from inflicting harm upon the Israelites, he enveloped the Israelites in profound darkness and impenetrable, so impenetrable that it could be felt. Like not just a physical, not just a visible darkness, but a spiritual darkness. And none can move or change his posture. He that sat when it fell could not arise from his place. And he that stood could not sit down. Nevertheless, the Egyptians could see that the Israelites were surrounded by bright light and were enjoying a banquet where they stood. And when they tried to speed darts and arrows against them, the missiles were caught up in the cloud, by the cloud and by the angels hovering between the two camps, and no harm came to Israel. No harm came to Israel. Let's continue with the passage through the Red Sea. On the morning after the eventful night, though the sea was not 
made dry land. The Israelites, full of trust in God, were ready to cast themselves into its waters. The tribes contended with one another for the honor of being the first to jump. Without wavering, the outcome of wordy strife, the tribe of Benjamin uh, sprang in. And the princes of Judah were so incensed at having been deprived of preeminence in danger that they pelted the Benjamites with stones. God knew that the Judeans and the Benjamites were animated by a praiseworthy purpose. The ones like the others decided and desired but to magnify the name of God, and he rewarded both tribes. In Benjamin's allotment, the Shekinah took up her residence, and the royalty of Israel was conferred upon Judah. When God saw the two tribes in the waves of the sea, he called upon Moses and said, My beloved are in danger of drowning, and you stand by and pray. Bid Israel go forward, and you lift up your rod over the sea and divide it. Thus it happened, and Israel passed through the sea with its water left in twain, divided in two. The dividing of the sea was but the first of ten miracles connected with the passage of the Israelites through it. The other, the waters united in a vault above their heads, twelve paths opened up, one for each of the twelve tribes, or one for each of the tw- tribes, the water became transparent as glass, and each tribe could see the others. The soil underfoot was dry, but it changed into clay when the Egyptians stepped upon it. The, wall, the walls of water transformed into rocks, against which the Egyptians were thrown and dashed to death, while before the Israelites could slate their thirst, slake their thirst. And finally, the tenth wonder was that this drinking water was congealed in the heart of the sea as soon as they had satisfied their need. And there were other miracles besides. The sea yielded the Israelites whatever their hearts desired. If a child cried as it lay in the arms of its mother, she needed but a stretch but to stretch out her hand and pluck an apple or some fruit and quiet it. The waters were piled up to the height of 1,600 miles, and they could be seen by all the nations of the earth. The great wonder of Israel's passage through the sea took place in the presence of three fathers and six mothers, for God had fetched them out of their graves to see or to the shores of the Red Sea to be witnesses of the marvelous deeds wrought in behalf of their children. That's awesome. Wonderful as were the miracles connected with the rescue of the Israelites from the waters of the seas or the sea, those performed when the Egyptians were drowned were no less remarkable. First of all, God felt called upon to defend Israel's cause before Uzzah, the angel of the Egyptians, who would not allow his people to perish in the waters of the sea. He appeared on the spot at the very moment when God wanted to drown the Egyptians 
And he, sp he spake, quote, O Lord of the world, you are called just and upright, and before you there is no wrong, no forgetting, no respecting of persons. Why then do you desire to make my children perish in the sea? Can you say that my children drowned or slew in a, sing a single one of yours? If it be on account of the rigorous slavery my children opposed upon Israel, then consider that your children have received their wages in that they took their silver and gold vessels from them. Then God convoked all the, the members of his celestial family, and he spake to the angel hosts, quote, Judge in truth between me and Uzzah, the angel of the Egyptians. At the first, I brought a famine upon his people, and I appointed my friend Joseph, who saved them through his sagacity, and, and they all became his slaves. Then my children went down into their land as strangers in consequence of the famine. And they made the children of Israel to serve with rigor in all manner of hard work there is in the world. They groaned on account of their bitter service, and their cry rose up to me. And I sent Moses and Aaron, my faithful messengers, to Pharaoh. Came, or, and when they came before the king of Egypt, they spake to him, quote, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness, unquote. In the presence of the kings of the east and of the west, the sinner began to boast, saying, Who is the Lord that I should hearken unto his voice to let Israel go? Why does he come not why comes he not before me like all the like all the kings of the world? And why does he bring me to a uh, bring me a present like the others. This God of whom you speak, I know him not at all. Wait and let me search my lists and see whether I can find his name, unquote. But his servant said, quote, We have heard that he is the son of the wise, the son of ancient kings, unquote. Then Pharaoh's then Pharaoh asked my messengers, quote, what are the works of this God? Unquote. And they replied, he is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, who created the heaven and the earth. But Pharaoh doubted their words and said, there is no God in all the world that can accomplish such works besides me, for I made myself and I made the Nile River. Because he denied me this, I sent ten plagues upon him. Because he denied me like this, I sent ten plagues upon him, and he was compelled to let my children go. Yet in spite of all, he did not leave off from his wicked ways, and he tried to bring them back under his bondage. Now, seeing he has happened to him, 
that seeing that all, excuse me, seeing all that has happened to him and that he will not acknowledge me as God and Lord, does he not deserve to be drowned in the, in the sea with his hosts? The celestial family called out when the Lord had ended his defense. You have every right to drown him in the sea. Uzzah heard their verdict and said, O Lord of all the worlds, I know that my people deserve the punishment you have decreed, but may it please you to deal with them according to your attribute of mercy and take pity upon the work of your hands, for your tender mercies are over all your works. Almost the Lord had yielded to Uzzah's entreaties when Michael gave a sign to Gabriel that that made him fly to Egypt swiftly and fetch from there a brick for which a Hebrew child had been used as a mortar. Holding this incriminating object in his hand, Gabriel stepped into the presence of God and said, O Lord of the world, will you have compassion with the accursed nation that has slaughtered your children so cruelly? Then the Lord turned himself away from his attribute of mercy and seating himself upon his throne of justice, he resolved to drown the Egyptians in the sea. The first upon whom judgment was executed was the angel of Egypt, Uzzah, who was thrown into the sea. A similar fate overtook Rahab, the angel of the sea, with his hosts. Rahab uh, had made intercession before God in, in behalf of the Egyptians. He said, he had said, why should you drown the Egyptians? Let it be sufficient. The Egyptian, the, the Israelites, let it suffice the Israelites that you have saved them out of the hand of their masters. At that, God dealt Rahab and his army a blow, under which they staggered and fell dead. And, and then he cast their corpses into the sea from where, uh, whence its unpleasant odor. Okay, let me see. Got here some of these comments. Yes, leaven is yeast, and yeast represents sin in our lives. Yes, uh, in more more graphically, um, leaven being um, see yeast yeast takes. The, the dough and it makes it rise, right? It makes it kind of puffs it up. Not to get too technical here, you could say it kind of makes it fluffy and kind of puts air in it, so to speak. You know, it's carbon carbon dioxide, but you know what I mean? And so in that way, yeast is also about pride as well, right? Pride. I mean, you can say that sin is pride or pride is sin. Um, but that is the idea too.
Who is Judah? Judah is one of the sons of Jacob slash Israel. He is um, he's the progenitor of Yeshua, of Jesus. He's the ancestor of Jesus. The, the, the name Judah means praise. Okay, the destruction of the Egyptians. At the moment when the last of the Israelites stepped out of the bed of the sea, the first of the Egyptians set foot into it. But in the same instant, the waters surged back into their wanton place. And all the Egyptians perished. But drowning was not the only punishment decreed upon them by God. A thoroughgoing campaign against them. When Pharaoh was preparing to persecute the Israelites, he asked his army which of the saddle beasts was the swiftest runner. That one, that one he would use. And they said, there is none swifter than the piebald mare, whose like is to be found nowhere in the world. Accordingly, Pharaoh mounted the mare and pursued after the Israelites seaward. While Pharaoh was inquiring of his army as to the swiftest animal to mount, God was questioning the angels as to the swiftest creature to use to the detriment of Pharaoh. And the angels answered, O Lord of the world, all things are yours and all are your handiwork. You know well, and it is manifest before you, that among all your creatures there is none quick as the wind that comes from under the throne of your glory. And the Lord flew swiftly upon the wings of the wind. The angels now advanced to support the Lord in his war against the Egyptians. Some brought swords, some arrows, and some spears. But God warded them off, saying, Away, I need no help. The arrows sped by Pharaoh against the children of Israel were answered by the Lord with fiery darts against the Egyptians. Pharaoh's army advanced with gleaming swords, and the Lord sent out lightnings that discomfited them, discomfited the Egyptians. Pharaoh hurled missiles, and the Lord discharged hailstones and coals of fire against him. Sackbuts and horns, the Egyptians made their assault, and the Lord thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice. In vain, the Egyptians marched forward in orderly battle array. The Lord deprived them of their standards, and they were thrown into wild confusion. To lure them into the water, the Lord caused fiery steeds to swim out upon the sea, and the horses of the Egyptians followed them, each with a rider upon his back. Now the Egyptians tried to flee to their land in, in their chariots drawn by she-mules. As they had treated the children of Israel in a way contrary to nature, so the Lord treated them now. Not the she-mules pulled their chariots, but the chariots threw, 
or though fire from heaven had consumed their wheels, dragged the men and the beasts into the water. The chariots were laden with silver and gold and all sorts of costly things, which the river Pison, as it as it flows forth from paradise, carries down into the Gihon. Uh, let me just stop. Let me just pause here for a second. The Pison, the Pison, right? That's one of the rivers that's ex, that is uh, mentioned in Genesis, uh, in um, around the Garden of Eden. And again, once again, the way it talks about the Garden Garden of Eden here is uh, paradise. It calls the Garden of Eden paradise. So that that like, so that makes us ask the question: Is the Garden of Eden a literal spot on Earth, or is it actually like a spiritual, a spiritual place, a paradise? Because we know some of the some of the rivers that is uh, described in Genesis, uh, it just doesn't really add up to the geographical location around uh, you know around the Middle East. But if they were rivers, if they were spiritual rivers in a spiritual location, or like in a in a heavenly realm, um, that would make sense. Continuing. From there, the treasures float into the Red Sea, and by its waters they were tossed into the chariots of the Egyptians. It was the wish of Israel, for, and for this reason he caused the chariots to roll down into the, into the sea. And the sea, in turn, to cast them upon the opposite shore at the feet of the Israelites. And the Lord fought against the Egyptians also with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. The former made the soil miry, and the mire was heated to the boiling point by the latter, so that the hooves of the, of the horses dropped from their feet, and they could not budge from the spot. The anguish and the torture that God brought upon the Egyptians at the Red Sea caused them by far more excruciating pain than the plagues that had endured in Egypt. For at the sea, he delivered them into the hands of the angels of destruction, who tormented them pitilessly. Had not endowed the Egyptians with a double portion of strength, they could not have stood the, the pain a single moment. The last judgment executed upon the Egyptians corresponded to the wicked designs harbored against Israel by the three different parties. Among them, when they, when they set out in pursuit of their liberated slaves, the first party had said, we will bring Israel back to Egypt. The second, he's, the second had said, we will strip them bare. The third had said, we will slay them all. The Lord blew upon the first with his breath, and the sea covered them. The second party he shook into the sea, and the third he pitched into the depths of the abyss. He tossed them as lentils are shaken up and down in a saucepan. The upper ones are made to fall to the bottom. The lower ones fly to the top. This was the experience of the Egyptians. And worse still, first the rider and his beasts were whisked high up into the air, and then the two together, the rider sitting upon 
the back of the beast were hurled to the bottom of the sea. The Egyptians endeavored to save themselves by the sea or from the sea by conjuring charms, for they were great magicians. Of the ten measures of magic allotted to the world, they had taken nine for themselves, and indeed they succeeded for the moment they escaped out of the sea. But immediately the sea said to itself, How can I allow the pledge entrusted to me by God to be taken from me? And the water rushed after the Egyptians and dragged back every man of them. Among the Egyptians were the two arch magicians, Janis and Jambres. They made wings for themselves with which they flew up to, the he to heaven. They also said to Pharaoh, if God himself has done this thing, we can affect nothing. But if this work had been put into the, into the hands of his angel, then we will shake his lieutenants into the sea. They proceeded at once to use their magic contri contri uh, contrivances, whereby they dragged the angels down. These cried up to God, Save us, O God, for the waters are come in unto our soul. Speak your word that will cause the magicians to drown in the mighty waters. And Gabriel cried to God, By the greatness of your glory, dash your adversaries to pieces. Hereupon God bade Michael go and execute judgment upon the two magicians. The archangel seized hold of Jannies and Jambres by the locks of their hair, and he shattered them against the surface of the water. Thus all the Egyptians were drowned. Only one was spared, Pharaoh himself. This is what I've heard as well. Uh, this is what I've heard uh, in various, from various places. I've heard that Pharaoh was actually spared. When the children of Israel raised their voices to sing a song of praise to God at the shores of the Red Sea, Pharaoh heard it as he was jostled here and there by the billows, and he pointed his finger heavenward and called out, I believe in you, O God. You are righteous, and I and my people are wicked, and I acknowledge now that there is no God in the world beside you. Without a moment's delay, Gabriel descended and laid an iron chain upon uh, about Pharaoh's neck, and holding him securely, he addressed him, saying, Villain, yesterday you, you did say, Who is the Lord that I should hearken to his voice? And now you say the Lord is righteous? With that, he let him drop into the depths of the sea, and there he tortured him for five, 50 days, for 50 days, to make the power of God known to him. At the end of the time, he, ins he installed him as king of the great city, Nineveh. And, he, and after the lapse of many centuries, when Jonah came to Nineveh and, prophet and prophesied the overthrow of the city on account of the evil done by the people, it was Pharaoh who, seized by fear and recovered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and with his own mouth made proclamation and published this decree through Nineveh. Let neither man nor beast nor uh, herd nor flock taste anything. 
Let them not feed nor drink water, for I know there is no God beside him in all the world. All his words are truth, and all his judgments are true and faithful. Pharaoh never died and never will die. He always stands at the portal of hell. And when the kings of the nations enter, he makes the power of God known to them at once. And in these words, oh, you fools, why have you not learned knowledge from me? I am denied the Lord God. And he brought 10 plagues upon me, sent me to the bottom of the sea, kept me there 50 days, released me then and brought me up. Thus, I could not but believe in him. God caused the Egyptians to be washed ashore in their death struggle. There were four reasons for this. The Israelites were not to say that as they themselves had escaped, so also the Egyptians had passed through the sea dryshod. Only the latter had gone in another direction and therefore had vanished from sight. The Egyptians, on the other hand, were not to think that, that the children of Israel had been drowned in the sea like themselves. In the third place, the Israelites were to, were to have as their booty the silver, gold, and other precious things with which the Egyptians were decked. And finally, the Israelites were to enjoy the satisfaction of seeing their enemies suffer with their finger you can point to them, you can point them out one by one saying, this one, this one way, my taskmaster, who beat me with those fists of his, at which the dogs are now gnawing, and yonder, over there, Egyptian, the dogs are chewing the feet with, with which he kicked me. As they lay on the shore in, in their last agony, they had to witness their own destruction and the victory of the Israelites, and they also beheld the suffering of their brothers that had remained behind in Egypt. For God poured out his punishment over the whole people, whether in Egypt or at the Red Sea. As for the corpses by the shores of the sea, they did not remain unburied. The earth swallowed them by way of reward for Pharaoh's having acknowledged the justice of chastisement that had been inflicted upon king and people. Before their corpses had been disposed of in this way, there had been a quarrel between the earth and the sea. The sea said to the earth, Take your children unto yourself. And the earth retorted, Keep those whom you have slain. The sea hesitated to do as the earth bade, for fear that God would demand them back on the day of judgment. And the earth hesitated because it remembered with terror the, the curse that had been pronounced upon it for having sucked up Abel's blood. Only after God swore an oath not to punish it for receiving the corpses of the Egyptians would the earth swallow them. Wow, awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, let's see what we got here. Okay, so we got four questions and comments. 
Fred asked the question, winds of what? Winds of what? The winds, um, he spoke about the east wind, right? The east wind that, that was used to blow the, um, to drive back the Red Sea. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how to, if that answers your question. Um, but if you were to give a little bit more detail in your question, I might be able to answer it. But I hope that helps there, Fred. Abril says, I have not been able to hear today's teaching. I started to have trouble with my computer just at the... Uh, just as this started. So I'm going to rewatch in a few moments. Okay. The, the message might be really important for me today. Yeah. Erlen says, Shalom, brother, brothers and sisters. Blessings, peace, and love. Brother, I couldn't uh, reply back to you yesterday as I was driving. No problem, Erland. Uh, but no, I wasn't in Ottawa yesterday. I was heading there. I will arrive there tomorrow. Awesome, Erland. Awesome. Yes. Uh, please let us know how it goes tomorrow. Awesome. Yeah, Lord, Lord, uh, Lord protect you. Lord give you wisdom and... Uh, guide you there and give you great favor and in, in, in success in your visiting Ottawa. That's awesome. Okay. So, um, okay. Okay. So, We will pick up again tomorrow. We'll pick up again tomorrow. Uh, so, yeah, tomorrow is a very, very interesting day. We'll see what happens in Ottawa. Uh, and I hear there's supposed to be a lot more people going there in Ottawa tomorrow. There's lots of other different convoys all around happening. Very, very interesting what's going on in the world today. And uh, I think it's very, I think it's important. Uh, I mean, we're reading about freedom, right? We're, we're reading about freedom. So I think it's very important uh, that freedom is upheld in this, in this world. Uh, and uh, Hey, you know what? We serve God, right? God is number one. And the government should respect that. The government should respect freedom to serve God in the way that the, in the way, according to the word of God. So, you know, if nothing else, uh, that's, let's just, uh, let's just, uh, pray that that's what happens. Uh, because I see some of these, uh, governments and some of these rules and regulations that have been pushed upon some people across the world, uh, has been against the word of God. It's been against the word of God to be engaging in things that is simply just not the will of God for people to engage in. So, yeah, um, tomorrow, Lord willing, 2 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Uh, again, for those of you who, um, if you're new here, make sure you're subscribed. And uh, if, um, you know, if nothing else, 
make sure you're subscribed. Uh, if not, you know, have the notifications on so that when I do go live, you will get a notification. And, you know, Lord willing, one of these days I will go live. As I know I've been saying this for a while. I will go live unannounced. And uh, I want you guys to jump, you know, jump on and join me when I do. So Erland, Erland says, amen. Thank you, Christopher. Amen, Erland. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So yes, Erland, if you, if you don't mind, Erland, uh, let us know in with us tomorrow, um, afternoon, just after 2 PM and, uh, let us know what's going on there. Let, let us know how it's going. Uh, very, very interested to know, uh, how it's going there in, in Ottawa. 1 John 2.26 says, thank you, Christopher and Shalom. Thank you very much, 1 John 2.26. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, so as always, Sunday through Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, we're doing this. Um, Erlen says, Erlen says, yes, Pastor, I will keep you in the loop. Awesome, Erland. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Again, Lord guide you and God, you know, the Lord, the Lord be with you, Erland. The Lord be with you and bless you in every step of your way. Vinny says, Thank you, Christopher. God bless you all. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you very much, Vinny. It's always, it's always a pleasure. As always, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, guys. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, 2 p.m. Eastern. We'll have our Shabbat service and uh, hopefully have a little bit of uh, some, some interesting little treats, spiritual treats. Amen? Amen? Okay, guys. Until next time, as always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow, guys.